Today we're going to talk about living intentionally for Jesus Christ as a witness. You know, that's probably one of the biggest challenges we have, isn't it? And that is actually telling somebody else about what Jesus Christ has done for us, being a witness for him. In the area of witnessing, of course, we need boldness and we need conviction. And we often think of people with that natural gift of being able to do that. But witnessing is so much, so much different than that. And today, at the end of this service, you're going to be able to understand that you and I can both be an intentional witness. So the big challenge today is to live intentionally for Jesus Christ. And part of that intentional living is that other people know what we believe. So in Acts chapter number 26, we're just going to read a couple verses here in verses 22 and 23. The whole chapter is my subject here today, but I won't have the time to go through every verse of the whole chapter. But um, Paul's before King Agrippa. And King Agrippa is one of the Jewish kings under the Roman rule. And he is on that, that providence and, 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 and is at the end of his life, toward the end of his ministry, he's always known that he wants to speak before, he's been told he's going to speak before the Jews, before the Gentiles, and before kings. He's going to give a testimony. And there he finds himself before none other than King Agrippa. And, um, and he's standing there before King Agrippa, and um, Abe said that he was nervous getting up there. Can you imagine what Paul must have been like? Well, we're going to find out a little bit more of the boldness that God gave him to give a, um, a, a wonderful witness um, before him of what Jesus Christ meant to him. And if Paul could do it, then I can do it, and you can do it. Look at verse number 22. Paul before King Agrippa says this, Therefore... Having obtained help from God, to this day I stand witnessing, both to small and great, saying none other things than that which the prophets and Moses said would come. And here it is, that Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. The principle we're going to be talking about today is turning your story into a witness for Jesus Christ. God's people are people with a message. God's people are people who have a testimony to give to others. We did it just this morning. We followed in the, in the likes of the, um, of the Psalms, where the psalmist, Psalm 107, says this, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Isn't that what we were singing this morning? His mercy endures forever and here's what the second verse of that psalm says let the redeemed of the lord say so let them open their mouths and say what the lord has done for them who has redeemed from the who has redeemed them from the hand of the enemy you know even in the coming tribulation period you think the world's worse now it's going to get worse and in the coming tribulation period god will raise up a witness at least 144,000 Jewish witnesses. It's going to be an amazing thing. You read the book of the Revelation. Listen to what they're doing, even during the tribulation period. He says here, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they, they did not love their lives to the death. God's people are witnessing people. We can't help it. We have to express what God has done in our life. And so today we're going to talk about intentionally witnessing for Christ. When you tell somebody your story, 
of how you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Or you tell somebody about how God has worked in your life. Or how He has blessed you, as we heard this morning. How He's transformed you. How He's lifted you up. How He's encouraged you. Or perhaps, how He's even broken you. That can have a very powerful effect on another person's life. Your story catches people's attention. People are interested in your story. Everybody has a story. Everybody has a testimony. Only God's people turn that story around to become a witness for Jesus Christ so that he gets the glory. It becomes your personal testimony and your witness. And one of the great things about having your personal testimony, you'll never forget it. You don't have to have notes. It's just there because you are living it. And so today, we're going to talk about the power of witnessing. And the power of witnessing is simply sharing with others what you have learned, what you have experienced as a follower of Jesus Christ. If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you've got something to share. You say, well, I don't know much. Then you don't have much to share. But you will grow, and you will grow. And you know, the Bible tells us that when the disciples... Um, were with Jesus just before he re, um, ascended. Um, Michael's standing at the area um, yesterday, right where, where that all happened. It would have blown him away, I'm sure. And he'll tell us next week. Next week's going to be a lot of fun. And so, by the way, we're having a baptism next week. Last week, in the Jordan River, some people were getting baptized, and Michael said he thinks he'll hold off for the, for the Cabana Bay. It's better. It's much better. So, so anyway... <laughs> Anyway, the um, Acts, um, the Bible tells us that these disciples were talking to Jesus about it. And they said, tell us, I'm just paraphrasing here. Tell us, what's it going to be like at the end times? What's going to happen? When's your kingdom going to come? And Jesus looked at him and said, said um, first of all, it's not for you to know. The Father hasn't revealed that. Here's what's going to happen. And I'm going to quote Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. He says, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and even in Bunbury, Western Australia. No, it says to the end of the earth. And that's pretty much where we are, <laughs> the end of the earth. Witnesses, God's people right now, all across this planet, are lifting up praises to the Lord. They're going out and, they're, and they're, they're endeavoring to tell somebody else about Jesus Christ because of that powerful testimony. Your testimony becomes an effective witness because it, it goes beyond the knowledge about God and it goes into the realm of experiencing God. There's a big difference, a big difference between knowing about God and experiencing God. It's when you experience God in your life, that's when you have that testimony. And that's what I'm talking about here today. I'm not talking about memorizing a lot of scriptures in your mind, even though I want you to do that. And just simply by rote, just talking to somebody as if you're, you're, you're just giving them the information. No, you need to be able to, to understand that your testimony is your story, but it's established in two different areas. This is vital information. This is vital. For your story to become a witness, it must be, one, established in the Word of God. It must be established 
in the Bible. That's going to come up on the screen here in just a moment, hopefully. Maybe. And so Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, so then faith, and, and I get this. You might want to jot this down. Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It doesn't say faith comes by hearing some exciting story that gets you motivated and, and aroused or, or sympathetic to the cause. That fades away. Faith comes by hearing your testimony wrapped up in God's word, established in the word of God. The second thing that your testimony must have, if it's going to be a powerful witness on the job or in schools or wherever, if it's going to be intentional, it must be concentrated on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Too many people want to, be, want to follow somebody else. We have that all the time. Oh, I wish I could be like them. We're going to hear a testimony here in just a few moments from the Apostle Paul, and none of us can be the Apostle Paul. Some of us would be intimidated by what he, his testimony, his life. That's his testimony. But you're going to discover that his testimony is powerful, not because of what he's gone through, but because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans 1.16, the Apostle Paul writes this to the Romans and he says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews first and also to the Greeks. So sharing your story like Paul is, is, is a marvelous privilege. In this chapter, if you've got your Bibles open here, have a look here. We're, we don't have it on the screen, but have a look here in chapter number um, 26. The Bible says in verse number one, Then Agrippa said to Paul, You are permitted to speak for yourself. There he is, Paul, under arrest. Jews want to kill him. Um, um, other ones, um, he's appealed to Caesar. He's in the process. And now he finds himself standing before King Agrippa. And normally, you don't talk. He talks. <laughs> you listen. Here's where King Agrippa turns to him and he says, Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. Give me your story. So Paul stretched out his hand and he answered for himself. I can just picture him. He went like this. And I'm going to read this. It's in verse number two. I thank myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things which I'm accused of by the Jews. King Agrippa, I wonder what he thought at that very moment. Oh boy, what have I done here? You know, it's like asking the preacher, you got the floor. Oh boy. You know, so King Agrippa's sitting there. The Apostle Paul says, I'm happy to do this. That term happy is a wonderful term. It's a Greek term that simply means I feel privileged to be here. I get to do this. The Apostle Paul wasn't wondering, what is God doing? Why has he got me here? What am I doing right here? The Apostle Paul says, I get to do this. God's put me here. And he's standing there. What an opportunity that he has. You and I need to, as we go in our workforce, as we go to our neighbors, God's put you there. And he's put you there for a divine purpose to be an intentional witness. And instead of us looking around and being so nervous about what we're going to do and what we're going to say, we ought to be saying, 
wow, we get to do this. We are his hands. He stretched forth his hands and he says, here I am. Look at me. Let's go. And he begins to do it. So he's going to give us three different things here. And I, I've, I put these in. in well, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about it, but there's three different things. It's in your notes that that he's going to have in his testimony. That's going to be very, very important that you have in your testimony. The first thing is to be an intentional witness. You got to tell people what you were like before you trusted Jesus Christ. What were you like before? And that's the thing that you got to be careful about, because the thing about that is sometimes you can go on and on and on about that to glorify that. No, that's your past. But that's what the Apostle Paul did here in verses one through 11. He tells his before story to King Agrippa. Let's pick it up in verse number nine. It will be up there on the slide there. Before being a Christian, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, indeed, I myself thought that I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Paul says that's the old Paul. Paul was called Saul before he became a Christian. Saul became Paul. So he's talking about the old man. When he was Saul, he says, and I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme and being exceedingly enraged against them. I persecuted them even to foreign cities. So Paul says to King Agrippa, the man that's standing before you now is not the man I used to be. Here's what I used to be. Well, let's have a look and see what did he used to be. Well, we have to go back in the book of Acts a little bit. In Acts chapter number eight, Luke, who writes the book of Acts, is writing the historical account of the early church and, and, and how they went to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the world. And it says in chapter number eight, we're just going to keep it brief here, but it'd be a good study for you. In verses one to four, he talks about what Saul was doing. And this is after Stephen's martyrdom. And he says here, now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation for, over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. There was great persecution there. The pastor of the church was also, James was also put to death. Um, um, Stephen, the first deacon, was put to death. The church was in great, um, uh, um, uh, great persecution, and they were scattered. And what did they do when they scattered? The Bible tells us there that they went everywhere. Look at the last part of that verse, preaching 
the word. They were proclaiming the word. Um, Christian people are witnessing people. He couldn't stop them. They just kept going. The more he tried to stop them, they would scatter over here. So what would Paul do? Well, let's go to the next chapter, chapter number nine in verses one and two. Like I said, we could go right through this whole thing, but we're just going to take a couple a couple highlights here. Here's what Paul was doing in chapter nine. He says, then Paul, uh, then Saul, excuse me, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogue of Damascus, so that he found, for if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So here, here's the picture here is, is Saul is there. He's a young Pharisee and he's there consenting to Stephen's death, authorizing Stephen's death, which he just admitted to King Agrippa. And as he was authorized, the Bible says the young men put their clothes at his, at his feet. In other words, he was the authority. After that, it wasn't good enough for him. He says, I, I've got to do more. His his anger and his hatred toward the people of God was so intense that he went to the high priest and he says, give me authority to bind these people and to get rid of this. And so he got that authority. And the Bible says that he was breathing threats and murder before them and he would bind them. It was on the way to Damascus, to that road of Damascus where he met Jesus. But that's the next point. Later on, Paul was writing to Timothy and he had been encouraging Timothy, who was a young pastor, what it meant to be a pastor. And he's telling him all the different things that he's supposed to be doing about teaching and, and, and about prayer and about about um, um, the, the, the areas that he needs to really look at as a, as a man of God. But Paul started it out by reminding Timothy about who he was before. And he writes to Timothy and he see, he's, so, he's so authentic. He's so trans, uh, transparent before him. He says in 1 Timothy 1 verses 12 to 13, he says to Timothy, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry. Now listen to the next part. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. He says, And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. He says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. The Apostle Paul was not the typical professional pastor professional preacher no he was a man who was changed by God and so there's some things that you and I need to consider about this when we're when we're talking to about what we were before sometimes we forget but you need to ask yourself a couple questions what were you doing before you became a Christian what were you doing before you came to know Christ what were the key problems in your life, your emotions, the attitudes that you were dealing with? You were lost, weren't you? You were. You know, how did you try to satisfy those inner needs that you had? You know, the guilt that you felt, the sin, the fear of death, 
the, the insecurity that you had, trying to figure out your own self-identity, your life's purpose. These are all the things that you can express in your personal testimony when you tell, I was lost in this area and now I'm found. A personal testimony is so powerful when people see where you came from. The Apostle Paul, people knew who he was before. And they were asking, um, the Bible says to, to always be ready to give a reason for the hope. Peter said this, to give a reason for the hope of that lies within you. Be ready to give that. He was an angry man. He was a man who was dealing with his own insecurities and his own self-righteousness. And when he saw people being saved by grace, it irritated him. Let me tell you, that encourages me a little bit. Because sometimes before a person becomes a Christian, he gets very, very angry. He's pushing, he's fighting so much. And then it comes to the place where he meets the risen Lord and the fight's over. So let's have a look at the second thing. Paul's standing before Agrippa. He's just told him, here's the man I used to be. Now the second thing that he's going to tell him is, how he was brought to Jesus Christ. So the second point is this. How were you brought to Jesus Christ? We read in Acts chapter 26. We're going to pick it up in verse number 12 down to verse number 18. While thus occupied, Paul's continuing his dialogue here. While thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And so I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles, to whom I now send you, to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Folks, that's a powerful life-changing experience that he had just gone through. One of the things, uh, just as a side note, that, that I, I think is, is really quite relevant here is when Paul was speaking to Jesus, he said, Who are you? And Jesus says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Jesus was identifying himself with his followers. When you're persecuted, when you're misunderstood, they're doing the same to our, 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 our Lord. He, he, you are a representation of Jesus Christ. And when Paul was persecuting God's people, he was persecuting Jesus. And he says, Paul, it's hard for you to kick against that conscience to kick, kick against that testimony to kick against Stephen who who when he was uh, being stoned to death looked up and he saw me sitting on the right hand of the father 
Oh, Paul, is uh, Saul, isn't it hard for you to do this? And the light turned on. He knew exactly what he had been doing. He had a conversion experience. However, just having an experience like that, I've never had an experience like that. And it's not the experience that saves you. There was a time in my life when, as a little boy, I had, my mother and my father had taught me the gospel from the time that I could talk. They had taken me to church and, and done things, and, and Dad um, became a missionary down in Mexico, did some lay work down there when I was just a little boy. I was surrounded by the gospel, but I remember distinctly that it was through that testimony that I wanted the same Jesus that they had. And I can remember one time going to my mother and saying, could you tell me, Tell me about what I just heard in church. Tell me about the gospel. And I can remember at, at our bedside, uh, her bedside, we, we bowed our heads and she showed me from the Bible and I, bowed, I got down on my knees and I asked Jesus to be my savior. That's my testimony. Paul's testimony is a little bit more exciting, isn't it? But that's not my testimony. But it wasn't the experience that saved him. And that wasn't that experience that I have to have, that you have to have. It goes deeper than that. Later on, Paul explains what actually saved him. And it's called the gospel. It's the gospel. What Christ accomplished on the cross. That's what makes our story so powerful. Every single person in this room has a separate experience, but it's the same gospel. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. And here's what he received. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Remember our first two points? Our first two points was your testimony becomes powerful when, number one, it's supported by Scripture, according to the Scriptures. And number two is when it's based in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, it's just an exciting story. In Romans 10, verses 8 through 10, and we quoted from some of this earlier, he says, The word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You may be sitting here this morning and you're saying, you know what? I don't know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I haven't had an experience. Put your faith and your trust in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He died for you. He died to take away your sins. And if you do that, you can be saved right now. You can do that before I finish my message. If you accept Jesus as your personal Savior here this morning, please write that on the Connect card. Let me know about it. I would love to come and help you and give you some more material. I, I would love to help um, pray with you and, and to be an encouragement to you. That's what this church is all about. But it goes on. It says, he says, for with the heart one believes to righteousness and with the mouth confession is made. And then we drop down to verse 17, that famous verse. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So. Let me ask you, do you have a personal testimony? How were you saved? When was it that you actually came to Jesus Christ? When you're sharing with somebody, you need to make sure that you've told them what you used to be, and now you tell them the gospel. 
What caused you to consider your need for your Savior? What, what, what made it? What made it? Jesus said to Paul, he, uh, to Saul at the time, he says, it's hard for you to kick against my goading. He said, it's hard that. The conviction that Paul had been going through all that time. Which people in scripture influenced your decision? What scriptures do you know that will back up what you're saying happened in your life? That's the testimony. Okay, we're running out of time, so let me just do the last point here. Paul continues now. He's before King Agrippa. He's told him what he was like. He told him what happened in his life. Now he's going to tell him what his life has been like since. And King Agrippa had heard this story. He had had been hearing things like this. So our third point is since. Since. What's the difference that Jesus Christ has made in your life? Well, it goes from verses 19 to 32, and I knew I'd run out of time. So I'm just going to sum it up with one verse here. It's in verse number 19. Therefore, King Agrippa, Paul says, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. In other words, when he saw that thing, remember what the vision was. The vision was you're going to be your life's going to be changed. You're now going to be my minister. You're now going to be my witness. You're now going to go to not just the Jews. You're also going to go to the Gentiles. You're going to do things that you never dreamed of in my name. The one you're persecuting. So how did what was Paul's response to that? He says, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient. My life has changed. Let me ask you, what happened there? What, what went on? It's called repentance. True biblical repentance is turning away from the before and turning to the now, to Jesus Christ. That's repentance. And it's a reversal. And so has that happened to you? Has that happened to you in your life? You know, we, we often, and, and I, I listen to a lot of um, Christian radio and, and Christian music, and I must say, a lot of the songs today are just keep rolling over how, how, how burdened they are, how their life is still under burdens, and, and all this. And then you hear a song about how Jesus changed their life, and how it's now moving forward. On. Those are the songs that give testimony. The rest are just the blues. And anybody can sing that. They win Grammys for things like that. But God's people rejoice in what God has done in their life since they met the Savior. Colossians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says this. Here's what happened to you when you got saved. Listen closely. Paul says, And you, being dead in your trespasses, he has made alive together with him. I skipped a little portion of that verse there. But he says he is made alive together in him. Here's how he did it. Having forgiven you all trespasses and wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. What he was talking about was the commandments. Those commandments were always there and they were always telling them how bad they were, especially the first commandment. You shall have no other God before me. They always failed, always failed, always failed. He says he took those. He wiped them away and he nailed them to his cross. It's no longer against you anymore. You have been forgiven. Now, how has God's forgiveness impacted your life? 
Forgiven people are humble people. Forgiven people are not judgmental people. Forgiven people understand who, uh, what the world's like and they don't want it anymore. And they want to share what God is doing in their life. You are a new person with a new purpose. And Paul is saying to King Agrippa, he says, look at me now. Look what God has done in my life. I'm happy to give this for you. You know, the Jews were outside, banging at the door, if you will. And they were saying, we want him dead. We want him dead. And he's saying, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I was once like them, but now I'm not. You know, in Ephesians, here's what happens in your life. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 10. It's summed up like this. We are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. He's prepared a journey for you. Your goals, your dreams, your hopes are now what he gives you. He will take you places and do things for, for you and through you and in you. He'll heal your hurts. He'll take your family. And if you submit to Christ, he'll heal those hurts. And he'll make your family glorify God. He will take the, all the different things in your life, their hopes and dreams. And you will, you will have goals that will go beyond your life. Instead of just being fooling around with what we're doing here on this planet. Oh, yeah. You know, Philippians 2, verse 13, Paul writes to the Philippians, the people who loved him. He says, it's God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So how have your thoughts, how have your attitudes, how have your emotions changed since you've come to know the Lord? Because they have, haven't they? I mean, you're here today. It's fun to preach to, to people like you because I'm preaching to the converted I'm preaching to people who want to hear this. Adam prayed and he, he was praying in his prayer. He said, oh Lord, thank you for preparing our hearts to hear the word of God. So you can go out with a changed life. Uh, 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 following the, like what Romans 12 says, one of my life verses, verses 1 and 2. I try to get into almost every sermon. Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Did you catch that in the middle part there? Don't be conformed to this world. Just this week in, in the um, New York Times, I think it was in the Washington Post and all these, all papers that you and I both read, I know. Now I heard this, okay? There were headlines talking about the hopelessness of university students today. They're living without hope. Be and these are secular newspapers saying, we've got to do something about this because our kids aren't knowing what it means to belong. They use that word belong. And yet last week, we prayed and we, we, we sent off some of our young people from our own church to universities. And they're going to go with hope, knowing that there are people who love them, people who are staying. They belong. 
Don't be conformed to the world. The world, you're going to see it more and more. If you haven't seen it already, you know, you're not reading. <laughs> and the world's getting worse and worse, and it's going and it's in, in disarray and hopelessness. You and I are that shining light. We have that testimony that he has changed our life. So since you met the Savior, the difference in your life is that you've turned your story into a witness for Jesus Christ. So be specific. Be current. Be clear. In your worksheet that, I, that I've made up for the Connect groups, it'll give you some practical things to help you in, in, into, into thinking this through so that when you give a testimony to somebody, it's not that you're just trying to think of a three-point outline and preaching a, a theological treatise to them. No, no, you're just telling them your story. Here I was before, specifically. Oh yeah, I, look, I get where you are because I was like that. But here's what happened. The gospel changed my life. And here's what's done to my life ever since. So make it intentional. Become a deliberate witness for Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask the Lord if he would just lay somebody on our hearts right now that only we can talk with. Next week, I'm going to be preaching a sermon called The Barriers That You're Going to Be Facing. If you're going to, if you're going to be determined to be a witness, you're going to find some barriers. But every one of those barriers are something that you'll con conquer. So ask the Lord right now, Lord, lay somebody on my heart right now that I can be a testimony to. And this week, I want to be intentionally knowing what I'm going to say because it's actually my story. And I want to make that story become your story in my life so they can see Jesus in me. Lord, we thank you for your word today. Yeah, I know it's spoken to my heart these last few weeks as I've been preparing it. And, uh, and you've been leading um, people into my life that I need to share my story with more often. And I pray, Lord, that you'll do the same with, with the, uh, the folks here today and, and with people who are listening later on. And Lord, I pray that you'll speak to our hearts that we may go out as a mighty testimony and a witness to the people that we work with, to the people in the shops, to the people in our schools. Lord, may, may our students realize that they're not just here just to be a student, but they're here to actually speak to somebody about Jesus Christ. And Lord, may we, may we bring you honor and glory by what we do and what we say. In Jesus' name, amen.